You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. Let's pray. Almighty and sovereign and holy God, uh, as we go to your word, your infallible, complete, and perfect and holy word, uh, let us take what you show us today that... um, You who knitted us in our mother's wombs knows us better than we know ourselves. Um, Have created in us the ability to have a righteous anger, but you warn us, you warn us to have great discernment. And number one, how and when we use it, how long we hold on to it, um, and that we don't cross over the line where it becomes unholy anger. And you gave us a beautiful truth to protect us and our humanity from doing that. So Lord, with excitement, with celebration, with treasure of who you are and who we are in Christ, may we with excitement turn to your word, find great joy in it, uh, be edified in it, be challenged by it, and grow in maturity and closer to Christ in it. We thank you in the sufficiency and the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things. Amen. Uh, It's been quite interesting to spend time studying uh, this passage. The nice thing about being only having to get up here and teach every third or fourth or fifth Sunday is I get a lot of time to pour into Scripture and really look at things at this. And so it's it's been interesting and as usual, the word has convicted me uh, on anger as I put this together. I want to do a short intro again to remind you where we're at in this series. We stepped out of going verse to verse because, again, it's summer and people kind of come to go. In July, we're, te- we're, we're just looking at some particular things within Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And we talked last week about how do we live out what, what Kara just read. Uh, all of those uh, list of things she said were to do, that in the Greek, it's command language. It's not an option. Um, These are what God asks us to do. Uh, And he says we have the ability. Remember last week we looked at this. He tells us earlier and forth to put off the old self. And what we saw about that, the, the, the beauty of that putting off in the Greek is it's completed. Upon the cross and upon your being born again in Christ, the putting off of your old self is a completed task. There's nothing you could have done to put off the old sinful nature. Completed 100% by Jesus Christ on the, on the cross. Then he tells us to put on the new nature. And again, 100% completed by Jesus Christ on the cross. And the coming of the Holy Spirit. I and myself cannot put on the new self. Jesus did that finished work on the cross And the filling of the Holy Spirit allows me to live that way. Again, we looked at this as putting on and putting off. It's very unique. Only in Paul, nowhere else in the Bible does it, even in Greek language, does it ever say classical Greek, biblical Greek. Nowhere else does it say put on a new self and put off the old self. And so we talked about that. I could have said it's, you know, put on the coat of righteousness or put on the coat of my new self. That's really what Paul is looking at in this language. He's saying all of you, your humanity, your humanness, put on the new 
and take off the old. And then he says to renew this in the spirit of your mind. The interesting thing about that Greek is it's an ongoing process. When you look at the Greek grammar there, the renewing of my mind is something that God does through God the Father does through God the Holy Spirit, and it's continuous. It's every day. That's what we call sanctification. We should wake up every morning and say, I believe the Holy Spirit made me holier today than I was yesterday. And we should be able to look at the next year and say, I believe by the Holy Spirit, I'm more sanctified today than I was a year ago. And we should celebrate that. And we should treasure the ability to be that way because, again, purchased by the blood of Christ on the cross. At the end of these commands, it says we are at the end of four before verse 25 in the, in the text that, that Carol read. It says that you were created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and true holiness. So when we talked last week about being truthful. Why am I to be truthful? Because I'm creating the likeness of God in true righteousness and true holiness. Why should in my anger I should not sin? And why should the duration of my sin be very, very short? Or the, the, the uh, duration of my anger, excuse me, I should have no sin. Duration of my anger be very, very short? Because I'm created in the likeness and holiness of God. And then we put this whole series in verse 5, chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore... So we just had this list, and like, so I'll, I'll, I'll paraphrase today. In your anger, do not sin. Therefore, be imitators of God. God. God gets angry, he does not sin. As beloved children, and walk in love. If in my anger I sin, I'm not walking in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So that's the introduction. That's what we're talking about the next several weeks. You put off that old self. You have the new self in Christ. You renew your mind. And all these things that, that the Holy Spirit inspires Paul to say how we are to walk, we do that in love because we're imitators of God. So this week, we're looking at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. So look at those in your Bible or on your Bible, on your apps. And we're talking about be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. In my studies, I went back and looked at everybody from the apostles onward to today on what did they say about this verse? I love what Jerome said in 300 AD. Our anger should be as if a light breeze we're, dis we're disturbing the serenity of the mind. Get that. Our anger should be as if a light breeze were disturbing the serenity of the mind, but never carried into the swelling rapids by the impulse of rage. A lot of wisdom from a dead saint. There's another... Uh, um, pastor, a, a Danish pastor in about 1500s, Estua said this, do not let the sun go down in your anger means let the day of your anger be the day of your reconciliation. What a beautiful thought. Let the day of your anger be the day of your reconciliation. He goes on to say, if reconciliation is impossible, 
Even so, do not stroke your wound or cherish revenge or hold a grudge. For Satan seeks a gap called grudge. And if he finds it, he will enter and ruin life with all manner of bitterness. So we, th- we see three things in anger in this text. A really very easy text to unpack. Uh, first thing, there's a time for anger. Be anger and do not sin. There's a time to hold on to it, and it's very short. Basically, it's hours and minutes. It's not days and weeks. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. And lastly, there's a consequence to ungodly anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. So we're going to break those down today. I want to do a little bit, though, and go back what Paul does here. Remember last week, Paul took us back to Zechariah in the Old Testament to support his apostle authority to command us. And if you look at all of these commands in 25 to 32, he does that in every one. Ben and I were looking at uh, this week going over his, uh, the sermon he's going to preach in two weeks. We see the same thing. I love what Paul does there. He's apostle of God, a very, very small group. He's met, he has gone face to face with Jesus, a very, very small group. In and of that, scripture says there's authority there because he's apostle. But even as apostle, what does he do? He, allows, he, sit, he puts his apostleship on the foundation of Scripture. So he quotes this, be angry and do not sin, is a quote from Psalms 4. So Psalms 4 is going to come up. If you have your Bible, turn to Psalms 4. Because it's real important we understand Psalms 4 on how he says we're to live out this. And we're going to look at James here in a little bit. James is leaning on a, on. on a, on Psalms 4, we're going to look at some of Jesus' words here in a little bit. He's leaning on Psalms 4. So I'm going to walk through Psalms 4 really quick. Verse 1. Everybody there? To the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. So this psalm is a psalm written by David that's attached to music. So when you read a psalm, do you always got to remember that subscript at the top? That's inspired by the Holy Spirit. You need to read that as you understand this. Uh, To the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. Answer me when I call, O God, of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. By by gracious to me and hear my prayer. So there, there he's calling out to God to, in his righteousness, you've always taken my distress away. Verse two, here's a problem. Here is what's going on in, in, in the psalmist's life that Paul looks at and applies it to us. Oh men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? And how long will my love and love vain words and seek after lies? Say la. So verse two says there's a group of people that are telling lies about David, that are bringing dishonor to David, that are accusing David. And that's what he's angry about. And we'll see that's a righteous anger. Look what he says in verse 4. Be angry and do not sin. That's what Paul is seeing. So he's seeing that King David, in a time in his life, was being attacked unrighteously, being attacked for things he hadn't done, 
um, had a right to be angry, but in the psalm that he's singing to instruments says, be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your hearts. Lost my place, hold on a minute. Ponder in your hearts on your beds and be silent. We're going to see uh, James tells the same thing. Be slow to speak and slow to anger. Verse 5, offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. Verse 6, there are many who say, who shall show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart. Look where, the, look where the King David goes. He says, if I don't get angry in a sin, that I, if I, in my sin against somebody that's treated me wrong, that I have the righteous right to be angry at, if I don't sin in that, look what God gives me. He gives me joy. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lay down, lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. This is what Paul sees when he comes to Ephesians and he says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. When he reads Psalms 4, he sees all that. You have a right to be angry sometimes. There's a fine line between a righteous anger and sin. All you have one day to get over it. And any more than that one day, you give the devil a foothold. And that's what we're going to unpack today. So again, what we see clearly in these, in these verses are three, three things. There's a time for anger. The time is short. It's actually very short. And there's a consequence or a danger to us not understanding this. First point, a time for anger. Biblical anger is characterized by two things. Number one, it has to be based on the righteousness of God. And that, and that alone. You have no other reason to get angry unless it's, unless it's the righteousness of God. We'll go to that in a minute. That's James chapter 1, 19 to 20. We'll get there in a minute. The second thing, and here's where I think you're going to be about shocked time to do this. I am not going to the temple where God overthrows a table. God the Son overthrows a table. That's where just about everybody goes. I bet you I read 40 different commentaries on this passage, and just about everybody goes to the righteousness of Christ, overturning temples, uh, tables in the temple to show us a righteous anger. He goes another place. And I'll get to that. And out of all the people I've read, only two went here. And so the two things about anger, it has to be based on God's righteousness. We'll unpack that in a minute. It must be accompanied with grief. If your anger, and you're not grieving over the sinful people that have caused you wrong, you have no right to be angry. None at all. And I will tell you right now before I unpack that, I fell at that. The church has failed at that for 2,000 years. One of the reasons I think the church fails at it for 2,000 years, because of the 40 commentators I went to, only two went there to the scripture I'm going to show you here in a little bit. 
we're just coming out of COVID. I'm going to use it as some examples, but I'll go off in a little bit. I'll, I'll give you a little foretaste of it. And some of you may disagree, but I think once I unpack, Matt, Mark, you're going, to have to, you're going to have to work your way through Scripture. The church handled COVID horribly. In our anger, we did not grieve over the sinfulness. We said we have the right to meet every Sunday, so we're going to meet. How many of us grieved over the people making those decisions? How many of you cried over their salvation and their lostness? Probably not very many of us. I can guarantee you that some of the sermons I listened to, there was no grief over the sinfulness of those. We're going to listen to what Jesus says here in a minute. Let's go to James chapter 1, verses 19 through 20. Notice a few things about Paul here. Let me, I'm going to read this, this text, Ephesians text, really quick to you literally. This is the literal Greek. If I was to take the English, put it literally in Greek, it really reads this way. If, or although, you do get angry, make sure you do not sin. Or it could be, be angry. Or if you are angry, do not sin. That'd be a, a literal reading of the Greek. Notice that anger in itself is not called sin. He's not telling us that anger is sin. He's telling us, in your anger, do not sin. So the question we have to ask ourselves, what is righteous anger? What does that look like? Because Paul says there's an anger we're allowed to have. Well, what's that look like? And when do, and when do we know we have strayed from it? Because we want to make sure if there's a righteous anger, we stay within the bounds of righteous anger. Because straying from it gives two dangers. I fall into sin, and the devil gets a foothold. So let's look at James chapter 1, verses 19 to 20. And this is what the Word of God says. Know this, my beloved brothers... Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I'll say that again. He pulls three things out that he wraps around anger. Be quick to hear. Before you get angry, listen. Uh, when you're in a conversation with somebody, I'll tell you right now, conversations on text messages, as believers, we should be very, very cautious not to enter into that. Because it's very easy to type a message. And you really haven't heard somebody. You've seen words on a screen. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. So James gives us his formula. You need to hear before you speak, before you get angry. He doesn't give it the other way around. One thing about when one rule of biblical interpretation is word order is huge. The way the, word, the way the Holy Spirit inspires words to go becomes huge. If, if I'm, and we'll see what righteous anger, if I'm in a situation of righteous anger, what's the first thing I'm supposed to do? 
Open my ears. Make sure that I'm hearing what I'm hearing right. That's why text messages are dangerous. I can't hear tone in a text message. I can't see eyes that may be full of tears in a text message. Hearing's important. Once I'm here, before I go to to a righteous biblical anger, what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to be slow to speak. What did King David tell us in the Psalms? Ponder it upon your heart. Think about it. And then it says, be slow to anger. And then it gives us a warning. For the anger of man, my fleshly anger, does not produce the righteousness of God. In other words, we should be slow to anger because the anger which rises quickly is very likely mere human anger. It's very likely, it's more than likely Tim. In 45 years of marriage, and you are welcome to talk to Kathy, she will tell you that when something happens and I speak quickly, it's all about Tim. When I take a deep breath, when you slow down, when you hear, you probably won't even go into a mode of anger. The anger which rises quickly is very likely to be the mere human anger which will not accomplish God's righteousness. Notice, he gives us a right to be angry, but it has to do one thing. It has to accomplish God's righteousness. Can't accomplish my righteousness. It's the only time we're allowed to get angry. But if we're slow to anger, if we rule our spirit and consider the matter carefully then our anger, if it comes at all, may be the very anger of God. That's what we're allowed to do. That's all we're allowed to do. That is, our anger may be owing to the fact that God's character is dishonored, not mine. Righteous anger that we're allowed to have is when God's character is dishonored, not when Tim Eirich's character is dishonored. That God's aims are resisted, not just mine. In short, good anger is based on God and second, us. Its target is sin against God, not just assault on us. I can tell you right now, I feel at that quite often. But you know what? There's times in my life that I've said, that's righteous anger, right? That's a sin against God. I, I have a right to be angry. But when I take it and internalize it, and I evaluate it, and if I find that it had really nothing to do with God, it was all self-righteous anger, I've crossed over into sin. So it's a pretty easy formula. If my anger doesn't, first and foremost, come because the character of God is dishonored, that God's aims of what he wants accomplished in his creation are resisted, then I probably should keep it to myself. 
and ask the Holy Spirit to work on me. Listen, slowly speak, slow to anger. Uncontrolled anger leads to uncontrolled speech. I bet you we've all been down that one. Right? I get excited. Somebody's wronged me. Jump right in the middle of it. And the Holy Spirit will convict you really, really quick. God-centered, God-glorifying anger must be free from malice, pride, and revenge. How do we control this? My second point. Grief, grief for those we are angry at. Grief for those we are angry. You want to control anger? Grieve for the person that's causing you to be angry. Turn to Matthew chapter 3. This is a text that when I came upon it, I'm going, wow, I've never heard a sermon on this. Read it several times in my life. I only saw three people go to this text when we talked about anger. One was a dead saint. One was John Piper. Chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to go to verse 3. I'm going to unpack it as we go along, okay? So here's the setting. Christ is in a synagogue. There's a guy with a weathered, mutilated hand. The Pharisees are there, and the Pharisees are always trying to trap Christ. So Christ, verse 1 starts, again, he, Christ, entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. So he walks into the synagogue, and he noticed somebody with a, a hand. It, was a, it could have been an accident. It could have been that way from, from birth, but the hand was not functional. And they watch Jesus, so that the Pharisees and, and the Sadducees are watching Jesus, uh, and they watch Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. So healing this man is a God-glorifying act, isn't it? For Jesus to walk up to this man and heal him would give the Father glory. So there's nothing wrong with what Jesus wants to do. He's on the Sabbath, which everybody watching him would say, well, if you heal him, that's a bad thing, right? The Pharisees and the Sadducees. And then they, they're watching him because if he heals him on the Sabbath, they might accuse him of something. So there's a situation. Jesus walks into synagogue on the Sabbath, has compassion for a man with a withered hand. Everybody's watching him to see if he does, heals him, because they've heard he heals. If they heal him on the Sabbath, we can accuse him. We got him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to him, this is a question he asked, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life, or to kill. Everybody went silent. Why did everybody go silent? Because if you answer that one way or the other, you're in trouble. The Pharisee answered it, it's good to do that, then they just made themselves hypocrites. If they said it's bad to do that, then Jesus says, I got you. You don't know scripture. Remember Nicodemus chapter 3? 
right? Jesus is doing, uh, going through, he must be born again, and the spirit blows where the spirit goes. And Nicodemus goes, I don't understand this. How can I be put back in my mother's womb? And, and then he goes, Nicodemus, you're a teacher of Israel, and you don't understand these things? Nicodemus was supposed to understand everything Jesus said in chapter 3 of John. And he didn't. And Jesus lovingly said, you should know these things. And there's a scripture he should have known that he would have should have understood that. These Pharisees and Sadducees, all these people that are trying to, to accuse Jesus should have understood that the question he asked only has one right answer. But if they said it's a good thing, they become hypocritical. They've got pride. They've got malice. Look what Jesus says in verse 5. And he looked around at them. Who's he looking at? He's not looking at the weathered man. Who's he looking at? The Sadducees and the Pharisees, the very people who will accomplish the crucifixion. And he looked at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. So Jesus says, you want to have anger like Christ? A God-glorifying, God-centered anger? When you're angry at somebody who has wronged God, has done something that is not pleasing to God, if your anger is not tied to, bolted to, welded to your grief and you still get angry you've crossed into sin pure and simple what's the great commission to be grieved over the lost and they're going to make you angry the lost can't do anything but make believers angry we expect them to act like us. They still have the old self on. How can they act like us? So everything they do is probably at some point going to make us angry. They simply can't be anything else because they don't have a new self. And what does Jesus say? Be angry at that. Grieve them. When's the last time you cried over somebody who's lost? When's the last time you were in a situation with an unbeliever and for days you poured tears out of him? I would love to say during the last three years with everything that's gone in this country that we could sit back and say the church lived this. I simply can't say we did. Did we have the right, God given the right to, to meet on Sundays? Sure. Did we probably have the right, a righteous anger to, when we were told we couldn't? Probably. I would agree with that. Were we grieved to the heart, hardness of their heart for making us do that? Very few. I went back and read sermons. Mm -mm. All I saw was this righteous indignation that we have the right to do this with no prayer or grieving over the sins being put on us. Paul would say, you just crossed into sin. 
In your anger, do not sin. In your anger, make sure that you're angry at God being insulted, not you, Tim. In your anger to that person that just put you in a situation like that, that's righteous, are you crying for him, Tim? Are you grieved for him? Because if we're not, are you gonna, if we're not grieving for that person, I would bet you 100% that you're not going to go give him the gospel. I don't know if Mark would agree with me, but I look at him. I got to believe that a lot of what drives you to in your ministry is grief at the hardness of hearts. Because we were all there once. Paul warns us, right? Remember, you were all one of these ones. What if nobody ever gave you the gospel? Wouldn't be here today. It's a tough lesson, but it's a beautiful lesson. I love when God gives us tough lessons because you can sit there and celebrate and treasure the finished work of Christ on the cross. And to truly live out this You have to treasure Jesus. He's got to be your prize. He's got to be what you long for. Because any other way, all that anger, I'm just going to put it in another, I'm going to point in another way. Then, he says, the third thing. So the first one is, there's a time for anger. The second one is anger is allowed for a short time period. As a psalmist experienced, if we we stay angry past what is allowed in Scripture, we block the peace and joy of God. If we hold our anger very long, more actually more than a day. I was talking with uh, Kathy and Joe Bellows this morning. Teasingly, she goes, we were talking about letting the, do not let the sun go down in your anger. So I told Kathy, I said, if you really want to be angry at Joe for a long time, make sure you make up first thing in the morning, be angry at him, right? <laughs> because I can carry it till like 11.59, then I got to let it go. And I said, if you, if you don't want to be angry with him, start being angry with him at 10 o'clock because you're probably going to go to bed and you're going to have to get over it. How many of us actually live by that? This is command language. This is not a suggestion. These are Greek imperatives. These are not just nice words that Paul put out or nice ideas. This language is an apostolistic, authoritative command. I can tell you, nine times out of ten, I probably don't do that well. And I bet you all of us can say when I, when I hold on to anger, I don't sleep well. There's no peace. I struggle with joy when I'm angry. Right? That's that's why Paul goes all the way back to Psalms 4 to uphold this commandment because the, the King David went through it and he said, be tempted but do not sin and, and by being that way, the joy and peace of God is ever with me. The consequence of us hanging on to our sin longer than a day Get this, because again, Greek word order means everything. It says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down your anger. Do not give the devil a foothold. You hold on to your anger to the next day, you just gave the devil a foothold. 
Notice one important thing on the devil of foothold. Paul does not credit Satan for producing the anger. Those of us with gray hair remember an old comedian named Flip Wilson that always said, let the devil, the devil made me do it. The devil made me do it, right? And we as Christians sometimes do that. Notice what Paul says here. The anger that causes sin is not produced by Satan. It is produced by us. And by holding on to it longer than a day, we just gave him a foothold. We've just allowed him to get in the crack of my armor. Or maybe I just took the armor off. Satan uses my anger to create strife in my marriage, to create bitterness in my marriage. Satan uses anger to create strife in our fellowships and bitterness in our fellowships. Satan uses anger to create strife and bitterness in our societies. Why? We just have a really hard time living Ephesians 25 and 26. It's simply maybe, maybe we haven't been taught it. Well, sometimes we don't like to unpack tough verses. But they're God's. They're inspired by the Holy Spirit. I can't say I perfectly do this, but I do like to get conflicts over quick. I like to get them done quickly. But remember, Paul's, just, Paul's not just throwing out, don't let the sun go down to it as kind of a duration. He's, it's, he pretty much means get rid of your anger before the sun goes down. I'm going to, we're going to end this sermon not with a red conclusion. I'm going to read three texts, two we've already looked at, and then I'm going to bring in uh, the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew 5, and we're going to end it there. So I want, I want the inspired word of God to be the last things we hear on this today. Okay. First one we looked at was from James. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear Slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Mark 3, 1 to 3. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man there had a withered hand, and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger and grieved at the hardness of their heart. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother 
will be liable to counsel, and whoever says you fool will be liable to hell. A fire. Verse 23. So you are offering a gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with the, your accuser while you're going with him to court. At least your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Let us pray. Holy Father, first and foremost, you are holy. Um, and in your holiness, you look down at us and say, please, my children, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And in our calling, what is glorious and what is amazing and what gives us great treasure for your son is to be able to walk in love, to have our minds completely renewed daily to, in our anger, not sin. To live in the truth that, uh, that through your Holy Spirit, we are fully capable of letting our anger go before the sun goes down. That we are fully capable from the indwelling of your Holy Spirit to let our anger go before the sun goes down. And Lord, put a fear in us that we do not give the devil a foothold, not into our lives, not into our marriages, not into our friendships, not into the body of Christ. That we, like King David, ponder our anger in our hearts. That even in our anger we do not sin. But we find joy and treasure and in the peace and joy that only comes through the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, may we live in the sufficiency and the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things. Amen.